This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Do you believe that God is able really and truly today to do the miraculous, to do the impossible, to do the supernatural in your life? He either is or isn't. And if you don't believe that He is in your life, if you believe that, man, I'm just pretty well stuck to whatever I'm able to do, then you're not going to see the might and the power and the glory of God in your life. As Pastor David continues through the book of Romans, he will be teaching us that our faith is contingent upon how the Lord moves and operates in our lives. When we trust in the Lord, we will no longer trust in our own abilities, strength, and logic. Do we limit the greatness and power of God to our own understanding? Do we contain God in a box? God is willing and more than able to move on behalf of those who operate their lives in faith. Christ said, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans chapter 4 verse 9 for the conclusion of our message entitled, Imputed as Righteous. He talks in verse 9, does this blessedness, and what blessedness is this he's speaking of? Well, he's referring to, again, what David said, the blessedness of not having my sin imputed to me, but having righteousness imputed to me. He says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Well, one thing I want you to understand, when he's speaking of circumcised, he's speaking of the Jews. So is this only given to the Jews because of, again, of the work of Abraham? He says in verse 10, how then was it accounted while he, while Abraham was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, he answers his question, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. In other words, that work of the flesh. In order that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they were uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed or credited or accounted to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. It's interesting. This whole work and declaration of Abraham for his righteousness found in Genesis 15 took place nearly 13 or 14 years prior to his point of being circumcised, carrying out in the flesh that work of the flesh that God commanded. And the Jews were so adamant that, hey, if I'm, if I'm Jewish, I'm circumcised, man, I'm under the household of faith. But now Paul brings out this reality that Abraham is actually father of both, not only for the Jews that were circumcised, but even for the Gentiles, for the uncircumcised ones. Well, how can he be father of the Gentiles, the, of the uncircumcised ones? Because he is father to those who by faith have come to believe in Jesus Christ. And it's only as they come by faith. 
Beloved, in a little while, he continues to speak about the fact that even those who were, again, were claim Abraham as their father, that he may be their father in the flesh, but in the spirit, he's not their father if they don't come to faith in Christ. They may claim Abraham as their father, but Paul brings a very strong argument about, no, he's not your father. Somebody else made that same argument, if you remember, in the Gospels, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And they claimed Abraham as their father. And Jesus, very seeker-sensitive and politically correct, spoke to them and says, No, Abraham isn't your father. Satan is your father. He just told them straight out, No, God is not your father. Satan is your father. Because they had rejected the truth of God, and they were working for their own desires, and they had no real desire to learn and to grow in God. Faith to those, or he's the father to those who by faith believe. Well, let's get back in verses 13 through 22. He goes on to say, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law or through the flesh, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. He's asking, are you trusting in the flesh or in faith? Because if you're made righteous by a work of the flesh, then faith is not necessary. You just go ahead and and do all the work of the flesh that you need, and faith isn't really necessary. And yet he says that will never do because, again, he continues to bring the argument on later, the fact that we could never do enough good works. We could never gain righteousness by our own good works. You and I all combined could not do enough good works to be able to match the holiness and the righteousness of Almighty God. He goes on in verse 15, because the law brings about the wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. What is he saying? It is, is that promise. He says, therefore, that promise is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, in other words, of the flesh, as children of Abraham, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it's written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
He looks back there in verse 17. He says that, man, he believed him who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. You look at Sarah and the situation of Sarah at that point in time. She was well beyond childbearing years. She was now in her 90s. Abraham himself, now 100 years old, well beyond childbearing years. And yet, because God says, you will have a son a son of your own through Sarah, your wife. Though Abraham tried to do it on his own, he tried to do it in the flesh, and God did not receive his work of the flesh, did he? That's Ishmael, and God says, I'll I'll go ahead and bless Ishmael, but that's not the son of blessing. The son of blessing is the one that I'm going to do through you and Sarah. And as Abraham believed that God would take that that was dead, the the reproductive system of Sarah and, and the ability for them to be able to have children, he believed God for the impossible. He believed God for the miraculous. He believed God for the supernatural. And God says, you're willing to believe I will accomplish that. Therein lies that declaration of righteousness for him. And that's why he says, man, that's why it was accounted to him as righteous. And it says in verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised He was also able to perform. Now I want you to think about that able to perform for a moment. Because in your life, the work of God, the move of God in your life, I believe is completely contingent upon the level of your faith. If you believe God is being small and he's only working and moving in my life only in this area, Beloved, the work and the move of God isn't going to be happening in your life. The greater understanding we have of who God is and the power and the might of God, the more open the channel is for God to work and move in our lives. Because Abraham did not waver. Because Abraham believed that it was God who was able to do even the impossible, the miraculous, the supernatural in his life. Do you believe that God is able really and truly today to do the miraculous, to do the impossible, to do the supernatural in your life? He either is or isn't. And if you don't believe that he is in your life, if you believe that, man, I'm just pretty well stuck to whatever I'm able to do, then you're not going to see the might and the power and the glory of God in your life. That doesn't mean he's not doing it. It means that your eyes are going to be blinded to it. It doesn't mean that he won't do it in your neighbor or even in a family member. But it does mean that you're not going to really see it and experience it for the fullness. How great is our God? How great, how mighty, how awesome? Or do we limit Him to our understanding? Beloved, if you have a manageable deity, then you don't have my God. You don't have the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. You don't have the God of David. You don't have the God of Old Testament or New Testament. If you've got a manageable deity that moves only at your bidding and only within the framework of what you understand and what you can wrap your head around, you don't have the God of what the Word speaks about. Because our God is a mighty and an awesome God. 
able to do miraculous, supernatural, those things well beyond our understanding. And when our faith comes to that point, that we're able to literally lay our lives down before Him in every situation, you don't think that that blesses God? You don't think that God will respond to that kind of faith? I know that He will. I know it by experience. I know it by the testimony of multiples. I know it by according to His Word. I know that God is more than able and more than willing to move in the lives of those who walk lives of faith. Absolute faith. Because I trust Him. I don't trust in my own abilities. I don't trust in my own strength. I don't even trust in my own logic and understanding. Because He moves well beyond those things. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We look and we understand chapter 11 of Hebrews as being the roll call of the faithful is what we call it. If you've been a Christian for very long, you ought to be familiar with the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And if you're not, then I would encourage you to get familiar with the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Because there is a listing of those who walked and lived by faith. And when you understand who that listing is, you see that there are some scoundrels in there. You find people with flesh and blood with failings just like you and I. People who, even in the midst of their weaknesses and their own inabilities, believed God and and God did an awesome work in their lives. We look at that chapter 11 and we see all this work of by faith, by faith, by faith, these guys live. Look back a little bit, if you would, in chapter 10, and I'm going to begin it up in verse 19. And listen to what, again, the writer of Hebrews declares, and he writes a lot like Paul writes. And uh, we read this, and he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Up until this time, the writer of Hebrews has been speaking again about the priesthood of Jesus Christ and the reality that not only was he a priest for us but he was also the sacrifice and that it was his blood that he sprinkled there on the holy of holies the heavenly holy of holies that now allows us to be able to have free access to God that we don't have to go through a mediator Pastor Robert and Pastor James and I, we don't have to sit in a little box over in the corner for you to come and and talk to us and then we talk to God for you. No, you can go to God on your own. There is now free access to all those who believe because of the blood of Christ. And that's what he's speaking here. He says, man, draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith. And then in verse 23, and this is where I want you to focus. Look at verse 23. He says, and let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Not because I'm going to be able to do this thing, but because I know who I believe. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That he is able. And my faith is built on his ability, not on my own ability, because I'm going to crash and burn. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to get attitude and and, and, and direction that's going to mess me up. But he will never fail. 
And he remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why we read now over in chapter 11. He says, now, this faith that we're talking about here is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If it's something that I could grasp a hold of, it would not be faith. If I could even wrap my head around it, I don't think it would be faith. Faith is understanding that, no, it's of God and how he's going to do it. He's going to do it in a way that I can't even begin to explain. That's what real and true faith is. Believing the things that you can't see, the things you can't understand, and believing them even as though they are. That's powerful faith. Is it because of the greatness of my brain? No, it's because of the greatness of who I believe God is. And our faith is increased as our understanding of who God is is increased. And the more I know of God, the greater he becomes, the greater my faith is. Because I see he is more than able to take care of these things. That's why he continues there in chapter 11 when he says, verse 2, that for by faith... The elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. The power of that verse, right there. That the things that were made were made out of things invisible. In other words, they weren't there. God didn't just take, well, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, mix it all together, stir it a little bit better, and as Paula Dean says, throw in a pound of butter, and then we'll make it, we'll have a great earth here. No. God spoke these things into existence out of nothing. Do you think that God can take care of a little problem like yours? If he spoke the worlds into existence, he can do the same in your life. And I don't care what the situation is. What area of burden or trouble there is. That when I come to understand, when you and I come to that full knowledge of the greatness and the power and the majesty of who our God is. Then I can believe him for great and powerful things. I can entrust him with everything. I can entrust him with my children. I can entrust him with my finances. I can entrust him with my health. I can entrust him with my future and my plans. I can entrust him with every care and concern. That's why the word says, man, don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then he says that's why that, then suddenly that peace that passes all understanding will come into your life. Why? Because I know the greatness of my God and I can have peace in the midst of it. And I can rest in the midst of it. He goes on and make this real short. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God the sacrifice. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up because he walked with God. Verse 6, talks about without faith, it's impossible. But verse 7, by faith, Noah worked and moved and God worked and moved in his life. But let me back up to verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe, first of all, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. I don't know what diligently means to you, 
But my understanding of that word diligently is, is that, man, I am continually working and pressing into him. I am diligent in this thing. I guarantee you that there's many things in our lives that we're diligent toward, that we make time for, that we rearrange our lives for, because we are diligent toward these things. Are we that diligent toward seeking God? Are we that diligent toward seeing His face and experiencing and knowing His power working in our lives? Beloved, that's the kind of life that you and I are called to as believers, to be diligently pursuing our God. And the Word says that, man, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Back to Romans in the last portion of that chapter 4, and we look at uh, verses 23 through 25. And Paul says, now it's not written for his sake alone, in other words, for Abraham's sake alone, that it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, for you and I even today. It shall be imputed, accounted to us, credited to us, reckoned to our account. To those who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Because of sin, a payment had to be paid. But much more than that. And when we look and ask the question, what is the basis of our justification by faith. You say, okay, I'm justified by my faith. What is the foundation? How and where do I, do I see and understand it? Paul says right here, the only reason for the crucifixion was because of our sin. Because of our sin. That's the only reason for the crucifixion. And as I've shared with you before, if you were the only one that sinned, God's love for you is so great that he still would have sent Christ on your behalf. The reason for the crucifixion was because of our sin. And when we come to understand that, then I can understand that God was working in that, the ability that I might be able to come before him. But it was much more even than just the crucifixion, because the payment made for the sin or the death of Jesus, as perfect a sacrifice as he was, was not full and complete until the blessedness of the resurrection. You see, it's not just in his death, but it's also in his resurrection. He was resurrected for our justification. And if you're here and you don't, you have never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And you don't know the power of the crucified Christ in your life for the forgiveness of sin. Or the power of the resurrected Christ for your life to walk and live in that. I want to encourage you that God's love for you is so deep, so mighty, and so continual. That he's offering to you not only the payment for your sin, but he's offering you righteousness before him and justification in his sight. That you, yes, even in your shortcomings, even in your own sin, even in the weakness of your own flesh, that you could now come because of faith in the completed work of Christ, that you can come justified, righteous, free before God. For you as believers, my prayer for you is that your faith 
would be extended and grown by the reality of the greatness of the God who's bringing that justification to you, who is able to impute that righteousness to you because of the work of Christ and because of faith, and that your faith would be increased to believe the greatness of God on your behalf. Yes, freedom to be able to come before his very presence, to be able to cast every care and every sorrow upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And to know that the greatness and the might, he is more than able to take care of those things. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry, of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from Pastor David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard the open word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.